Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to Christ Church. We're a church about lifting lives, a church about elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. We want to say welcome. Welcome to those of you joining us in the room. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well. If you haven't met me yet, I'm Nathan. I'm one of the vicars here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. I'm also the youth director here at Christ Church. Today, we're finishing up number 10 of 10 of our message series on the top 10 most Googled Psalms, and we're looking at Psalm 35 today. Next week, we're starting a new message series called Step Up, about stepping up in our faith, in different areas of our faith and our lives. It's going to be a good series. It's going to be a challenging series. It's going to be an important series. We hope to see you back for that as well. But the reason we wanted to do this message series is we know that we often turn to Google for the questions in our lives. And while that's a great thing when we have questions about more minor things, sports scores, or who's that actor in that movie again, or things of that nature, when it comes to the deep questions of life, when our faith of what the Bible means, it's important to turn to other places too. It's important to turn to scripture, to our faith, to our church community, to to the people we know who know much more about the Bible than anything Google might be able to tell us. So that's what we're doing with this series. A background on the book of Psalms, we call it Israel's anthology of songs and poems, a more colloquial way of saying it, an easier way of saying it, is just it's a collection of songs, of poems, of these hymns, of these prayers that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people offered to God. And they would sing them collectively, or they would chant them, or they would pray them to God. And there's these examples to us of how we, too, can sing to God, how we, too, can pray to God, how we, too, can chant, even, to God. And there's 150 of these psalms. And what's interesting about the psalms is they come in different genres, just like the whole Bible comes in different genres. The Bible is a collection of 66 books, and they come in different genres. We have the Gospels, maybe the most famous of the type of genres, this firsthand eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's historical books like First and Second Samuel, which is about the life of King David. We have, uh, we have uh, prophetic books like Revelation, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. We even have poetic books like Psalms. But even within Psalms of a uh, genre of book, of poetic book, we have subgenres within the Psalms. We have hymns, there's laments, these cries for help to God, there's thanksgiving Psalms, praise Psalms, there's even Psalms about really specific things like taking a pilgrimage to the temple. There's a lot of different kinds of Psalms. But a theme you'll see throughout so many of the Psalms is that King David is key. Before or actually at the beginning of almost half of the psalms, there's a Hebrew phrase that comes. Right after the number of the psalm, it'll say Psalm 35, for example, and then it'll say a psalm of David. In Hebrew, the word is la David. David being, of course, David, and the la before it meaning of, or relating to, or by, or to, or for, or about. Therefore, a psalm of David. So we don't know exactly whether David wrote these psalms, whether they were written about David, whether they were written to David, we know they're related to David. And because of this, it's important to remember David's life, the importance of David in the whole Bible, and it'll help us to understand the Psalms better too. We're going to talk about it a little bit today, but if you want to know more about David, you can go on our website and just go back a couple months into our sermon archives and look at our King David message series, and you'll be able to find out so much more about David too. 
But today we are looking at Psalm 35. And when we first set out to do this message series, and we we got the list of the top 10 most Googled Psalms, as I was looking through it, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, yeah, these make sense. The usual suspects are here. Psalm 23, of course, right? It's uh, said at almost every funeral. Psalm 119, absolutely, the longest book of the Bible. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Very famous psalm. Psalm 1, makes sense, first one. People are going to want to know about it. But there was one on the list that surprised me, and it was Psalm 35. And it surprised me because I didn't know that much about it off the top of my head. And so I pulled out my Bible, and I was like, okay, let's, let me see what Psalm 35 is. And I read through it, and I thought, hmm, Hope I don't have to preach that one. (laughs) And even after reading through it, I was still surprised it was one of the 10 most Googled Psalms. And the reason I was surprised is in it, David prays something that it feels like you're not really supposed to pray. Have you ever done this? Have you ever prayed something that doesn't feel like you're really supposed to pray? I remember the first time I did this. I was six years old, and it was 2002, and it was January, and it was the divisional round of the NFC playoffs, and the Green Bay Packers, and this is going to be ironic if you know me, because don't tell anyone, but I'm not even a Packers fan anymore. Sorry. You can boo me. But but at the time, I was. Big Packers fan. And Green Bay had a good team, right? They had Brett Favre, and they had a good team, but... They were playing St. Louis, who had a better team. It was two years removed from the Super Bowl, the greatest show on turf. They had Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. It's one of the best teams ever. And so I knew the Packers were going to need a little extra help to win this game. And so I did what a logical church-going six-year-old would do, and I prayed to God that they would win. And if you happen to remember this game, you might remember that they did not win. Uh, In fact, it couldn't have gone worse. Brett Favre here played probably the worst game of his career. The Packers lost 45 to 17. Brett Favre threw six interceptions, three of which were returned for touchdowns. And so I was confused as a six-year-old. How come I prayed that the Packers would win and they didn't? In fact, it went the opposite, went as bad as it could go. So I asked my parents about this, and they probably don't even remember this. But I asked them, I, I prayed for this. Mom, Dad, why did, why did they lose when I prayed that they would win? And they said two things. They said, well, there was probably a lot of people in St. Louis praying the opposite prayer to you. <laughs> and that made sense. And they said, I don't know how much God cares about the outcome of sporting events. Maybe you've prayed a silly prayer like this, or a prayer that it feels like maybe you're not really supposed to pray that kind of prayer. Maybe it's been small like this, or maybe it's been something bigger. Maybe you've prayed that you would get away with cheating on a test. Maybe that thing you did that you don't want anyone to know about, you prayed that no one would find out about it. Maybe there's someone you don't like, and you prayed that not great things would happen for them. Or maybe if you're like David... In Psalm 35, you prayed that your enemies would die. Yes, that is what Psalm 35 is about. That's what we're talking about today. 
Psalm 35 is in a subcategory of psalms known as the lament psalms. It's the largest category of psalms. There's more lament psalms than any other type of psalm. And what a lament psalm is, is it's simply a cry for help to God. There's a certain formula that you'll see in so many of the lament psalms. You'll see these four elements show up in so many of the lament psalms. And this is going to be important throughout this message. So write these down, pull out your phone, take a picture of it. Make sure you keep these in mind. But number one, what you'll see in every lament psalm is the psalmist listing what the problem is. God, here's what's going on in my life. And they're telling God honestly about the problem. People are trying to kill me. People are attacking us. People are holding us back. Whatever it may be, they're telling God what the problem is. Number two, then, is the cry for help. This is the big part of the lament psalm. This is why it's called a lament psalm, is the lament part of it. Asking God for help. God, help me through this. God, help us through this, if it's a communal lament. Number three, then, is hope. It's, it's trusting in God. It's saying, God, I trust you. I've seen how you've come through in the past for me or for my ancestors, and so I know you'll come through this time too. And then number four, when you do, not if you do, but when you do, then I will praise you. And so these are the four elements. Here's the problem, God. Help me. I trust you. I will praise you. But what David does in Psalm 35 is he does something different than just a regular old run-of-the-mill lament psalm. He imprecates, which is why this is known as an imprecatory psalm. And there's only a few of them, but they really do stick out. Because what an imprecation is, is it's a curse. It's a curse that David, in this case, prays to God, saying, God, curse my enemies. We're now going to read through Psalm 35. Uh, it's a little bit longer, so I don't have all the verses uh, on the screen for us. I'll have verse 1 up there, though. But if you want to pull out a Bible, you can do so. If you want to pull out a Bible app, you can do so. Uh, if you have your phones, you can come, go to our sermon notes, christchurchmechlin.life slash Sunday, and navigate to our, our sermon notes there, and there the whole psalm is listed as well. But whatever you do, I want you to listen for those four elements. Listen for David listing the problem. Listen for him asking God for help and even imprecating his enemies, cursing his enemies. Listen for David uh, trusting in God, and listen for him promising to praise him on the other side of it too. Psalm 35. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Lift up your spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Let me hear you say, I will give you victory. Bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they dug for me. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. With every bone in my body, I will praise him. Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. Yet when they were ill, I grieved for them. 
I denied myself by fasting for them, but my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad as though they were my friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. But they are glad now that I am in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I'm attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me and they call me names. They snarl at me. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I'll praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. They shout, aha, aha, with our own eyes we saw him do it. O Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take, ca- take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O Lord, my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, look, we got what we want and now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who humiliate May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor, but give great joy to those who came to my defense. Let them continually say, great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Then I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. In this psalm, David doesn't just ask God to protect him. He asks God to fight back against his enemies. He says, O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Lift up your spear and your javelin against those who pursue me. These are offensive weapons. David is asking God to curse his enemies. And for me, it feels weird. It feels wrong to ask God to do that. It feels out of character of God, right? God's this loving God, this forgiving God, this gracious God, and how could I ask him to kill my enemies? How could I do that like David did? And it's hard for me in my perspective to think about this. After all, no one's ever tried to kill me. But for David, that was his life. Remember the life of David. He was this boy, and he was anointed the future king of Israel. And then he was was faced with Goliath, and as a boy, and with a sling, he killed and slayed this giant through the help of God. And then he grew up, and he became this warrior, and the people sang songs about him, and they praised him, saying, Saul, who's the current king, has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul, who was the current king, was jealous of David, and he was scared of what this would mean for his legacy, and he was scared of what this would mean for his current kingship, so Saul wanted to kill David. But Saul wasn't just the current king of Israel to David. No, it was much deeper than that. Saul was the father of David's best friend, and Saul was the father of David's wife too. But Saul wanted to kill David. And so David spent time on the run and spent time hiding in caves. And so in this context, it might be a little bit easier to pray this prayer. When someone's actively trying to kill you, maybe it's easier to pray this prayer. In America, it's hard for me to imagine needing to pray this prayer. If I were in Afghanistan right now, it might be a little bit easier. If people were actively trying to kill me, it might be a little bit easier. But what's weird is what happens in the life of David. You see, because one of these times that he's hiding in a cave and Saul is pursuing him, David is deep in the cave with his men. And Saul, 
happens to come into this cave, not with his men, just by himself, because the Bible literally says this, Saul had to go relieve himself. And while this is happening, David's men see the opportunity and then tell him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and what do you think he did? His enemies there. He prayed that God would curse his enemies, that God would kill his enemies, and God is giving David this opportunity on a silver platter. Here you go. Here's your chance. So David creeps up unnoticed and cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. What? What do we do with this psalm? The psalm where David prays that God would kill his enemies, and when given the chance, he doesn't do it? And what do we do with this psalm? Because it is an example of how we ought to pray. That's what the psalms are. And we're given this example of how we ought to pray, and here we are to pray against our enemies. But then in the same Bible, Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So David's giving us the example of how to pray against our enemies, but Jesus is telling to pray for our enemies. And the question then is, what do we do with this psalm? What should a Christian, what should a believer do with this psalm? I think the answer lies in the lament formula we talked about earlier. Right? The psalms are an example of how we should pray. And when we need help from God, we can pray how the lament psalms teach us to pray. Step one was to tell God what the problem is. For me, I like to think about it as praying honestly. We can pray honestly to God. We can tell God how we really feel. He already knows, but we can tell him too. David says, malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. David's like, I'm innocent, but people are accusing me of crimes. and People are trying to kill me. And they're boasting about it, and they're gasconading about it, and they're bloviating about it, and they're, and they're just stirring all of this up when I'm innocent. But we don't have to just be honest about how we feel about what's happening in our problems, but we can be honest about how we feel about how God is responding to them too. David says, how long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? God, where are you? Where have you been? It's time. It's been time. You can be honest with how you feel about God. Remember, in the end, we, we do need to turn our trust to God too. And David does this. But we can be honest at the beginning. If I haven't convinced you to be honest in how you pray based on the life of David, I hope Jesus can convince you. Because right before Jesus was betrayed, right before he was arrested and taken away to be crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed this, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, Jesus comes around and he trusts God. I'll go through with this. But Father, I don't want to do this. You know this plan we had where I'd enter into the world as a human and then die and, and have it be a brutal death and have it be a suffering death and have it be a crucifixion? If there's a plan B, now's the time. 
we can be honest when we pray to God. So steps one is tell God our problem and be honest about it. And then step two is to ask God for help. In the case of an imprecatory psalm, though, step two is to pray against our enemies. But while we're doing that, we can pray for them too. Right? Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. While we are praying against our enemies, we can pray for them too. These don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can do both at the same time. We can pray that even though they're hurting us, they can still feel the love of God. They can feel God's forgiveness and maybe they can come to know God and become a part of his kingdom and do good work for him. But just because we're praying for them doesn't mean we can't pray against them either. We can pray that God fights back against their fight against us. We can pray that God opposes their opposition to us. If they are hurting us or harming us, we can pray that that stops, and we can take steps to make sure that stops, and we can do this while we're praying for them too. Yes, you can pray for and against your enemies at the same time. But after we tell God the problem, ask for, we ask for help, then step three is to trust or to hope. And I don't mean hope like I hope the Packers win. I mean the hope that David had. The hope that David had because he knew the promises of God and he knew how God had come through for him in the past so he would come through for him again. He knew the hope because he was there actively when he as a child was able to slay a giant as just a boy. He knew how, David had, how God had come through for David's ancestors. How God had time and time again rescued Israel. How God had used Moses to lead the Israelites out of a hopeless situation, out of slavery in Egypt. David knew these stories, and he knew the hope he had in God as a result. And we have hope too. Yes, in all those things, but we also have hope in Jesus Christ, who has already gone to the grave, has already conquered over sin and conquered over death by rising again from it. So he's already conquered over your enemies. And we can hope in that. So after we pray honestly, after we pray for and against our enemies, after we hope, then we can praise. We can do what David did and we can praise. We can praise in the midst of it. In fact, we should. David at the end of the psalm says, Then I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. When God comes through for us, we can tell others about it. We can praise him. We can spread that word so they can find that same hope that we have. Yes, we have hope in the midst of our enemies. And maybe you don't have enemies actively trying to kill you. But maybe your enemies look different. Maybe your enemies aren't even people. Maybe they're natural disasters, hurricanes, illnesses, COVID, cancer, addiction, depression, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, whatever your enemies may be. We can pray against them. And we can have hope that in the midst of them, God will fight them on our behalf. Now, this doesn't mean our problems are going to instantly go away the moment we become Christians. This doesn't mean that everything is going to work out perfectly at any point. 
Well, we are in this life. But what we do know is that in the long run, on the eternal scale, God has promised to make all things work together for the good of those who love him. On the eternal scale, we have so much hope. And we know that Jesus is walking alongside us and fighting our enemies on this scale too. Even though this is a weird psalm, even though imprecatory psalms is confusing and hard to talk about, it is still a psalm of hope. Because in the end, David trusts God, so we can too. And in the end, David praises God, so we can too. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your enemies may look like, you can tell God about it. You can pray honestly about it. You can pray for it. You can pray against it. You can have hope in the midst of it. And then you can praise God. But through it all, you can hope. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we know that we have so much hope in you. We pray that when we're facing our enemies, no matter what they may look like, no matter who they are, that we are reminded of your hope. We are reminded of the promises you've made for us and those that you have already fulfilled. We're reminded of all the stories we know in the Bible of you coming through for your people, for those you have called your own. Help us to be continually reminded of that love you have for us. Help us to be reminded of the hope we have in you. God, we pray that as we walk through this broken and sinful world, that no matter the enemies we face, no matter the problems or the storms of this world, that you would fight against them on our behalf. And that we would feel your presence and feel your love and feel your comfort in the midst of all of it. We love you so much. Pray these things in your name. Amen.